0: Yeah, we'll talk about that. All right. Okay. One more thing before we start our lesson for tonight, so we have the canoeing activity that's in the back. We have uh, the sign-up on GroupMe, and also on that piece of paper, there's a flyer. There are also emergency forms, uh, flyers, um, waivers that need to be signed. So if you plan on going canoeing, and you are under the age of 18, you need to have a parent sign on your behalf in case you drown or something like that in the river. So... There you go. So this is going to be a great edifying uh, activity so there you go yes yes all right all right while those papers are getting passed out open up your bibles to exodus exodus chapter 12 please exodus chapter 12 I already have one. You're the not Exodus. 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 There you go. Got it. Gracias. All right. While everyone else is turning to Exodus, can I have one volunteer read a verse for me? That's First Corinthians eight three. Yeah, sure. well, Thank I'm you, sure. Sam. <laughs> Sam raises hand. So, I usually go with actual volunteers first rather than voluntolds all right and it, 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 it can Yeah. And I don't know if we label that positive peer pressure or It's the Magnolia. It's a right? place we went on vacation. Magnolia. It's in Waco. It's the Fixer Upper show. You know, Fixer Upper. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Chip and Joanna, hello. Come on. Chip and, Dale's better. Chip, and, <laughs> Chip and Dale was a great cartoon when I was younger. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry for everyone on the podcast. You have no idea what's going on right now. All right. All right. All right. Let's actually do something. Okay. So Exodus 12 for everybody else. All right. So here, so here's the deal. We had a message at summer camp called the battle for your heart. And um, I and, and what Code priest was exactly what we needed to hear at that time. As I was kind of working through it myself, I landed here. And it was really interesting because while I was in Mexico, uh, I had a period of two days where I was hammering out eight messages that I was going to be preaching in Missouri and this was one of them and honestly this message came out of my devotion so I was reading through uh, exodus at the time and there were some several things that really popped out to me that I'm like man this is really cool I've never seen this before and so this is the message that I titled the battle for your heart um, and the context behind it coming into this is that God has gone to war for your soul and many of you remember that message from camp that he has warred for your soul that he has purchased your redemption now whether or not you have received that gift of salvation is completely and totally up to you but you cannot argue the fact that God warred for your soul he Went to war for you and we spent a lot of time talking about that at summer camp from the the plagues in Egypt and the battle that, that God had with Pharaoh against all the gods of Egypt and that was clearly established and so what I love about this is now that we know that and that has been established and we know that Jesus Christ has paid for our redemption by the blood uh, that he shed on his blood that he shed on the cross now from that point forward God has done things Uh, Over and above, like he's paid for your eternity, which is incredible to even think about. But he has gone above and beyond that to provide things for you. And one of the things that I kept thinking about is that God has done these things because he cares about you and he loves you and he wants to win your heart. So for in my mind, and when I think about it, when I think about the gospel and when I think about what God has done for me, just the fact that God would die for me wins my heart over. Like when I sit down and I think about the gospel, it completely wins my heart over. And then when I read about the other things that God has provided for me on top of my salvation, it just completely wins me over even more. And so I look at the stuff that we're going to see in Exodus here, these seven things as just, okay, yeah, he's paid for my salvation, but then some, and then, then some, and then, then some. And if God has done that for you, that that should change your attitude in your relationship with God. So I'm coming into this tonight thinking, okay, we've had a great summer for the most part, but I think some of you have struggled in your walk with God throughout the summer, that it may have started really well with summer camp and some of the things of your your commitments and the things you wanted to do when you got back and you hit VBS. And some of you not only did VBS, but then you went to Mexico and you were on fire and you were doing things. But now it starts to slow down into the school year. And now you're getting back into the school year routine again. And I'm willing to bet that for many of you, that there's areas of your walk with God that have been struggling. That your Bible reading like it was at camp and coming out of camp is not the same as it is now that you're struggling, that there are things that you're slacking in, in your discipleship, in just your personal faithfulness to God. And I want you to start the school year strong. And I think that that's been some of the messages already from between Bobby and Rick and some of the other things that they've gone over while I've been out. And so as I was working through this in Missouri, I kept thinking, man, I need to actually talk to my youth ministry about these things. And so I'm excited to get into some of these details. And so God has done this stuff to capture your heart, and, and he's done that on purpose. And so here's my question to you, uh, and that is, does the Lord have your heart? Does the Lord have your heart? And this was kind of the message at the beginning with with summer camp. Um But now I'm asking it at the end of the summer, start of the school, does the Lord have your heart? Does he have more of your heart now than what he had at the beginning of the summer? And how do you know? Because this should be something that should be measured. Like this is something that you should be able to look at your life and say, I am more in love with God now than what I was in June. You should be able to do that. And, and I hope that most of you can answer in, in the affirmative. There might be some areas that you've grown in, but there's probably some other things that you just have been lazy in, and, and that's just the truth of it. But how do you know? How do you know if the Lord has more of your heart? Well, here's one really good verse. Sam, go ahead and read 1 Corinthians 83. But if any man loved God, the same is known of him. If you love God, it's known of you. So if someone were to be an outside observer of your life from June until now... Could they honestly, objectively look at your life and say, this person loves God more? Can they see it? They should be able to see it. They should be able to hear it. They should be able to watch it. They should be able to observe it. And if they can't, then I think it's a very uh, reasonable question to ask, you know, do you actually love God more or not? Does he have more of your heart? Do you have more of his? And so I want you to just think about this because I want this message to be one that really motivates you. To kind of reconnect in your heart about these things, to, to really reconnect with the Lord on giving God more of your heart, grabbing more of God's heart, um, because he's literally given everything for you, for you. So the first thing, and we've already kind of talked about it, and this is number one, I will redeem you. So we've already seen that. We've already talked about that. And, and if we were to go back and revisit that lesson, we know that from Exodus 12, this is the Passover lamb. And this is the picture of Jesus Christ being that Passover lamb for us. And remember, it was a a lamb without spot, without blemish, that it was killed, and that the blood of that lamb was spread over the top of the doorway of the home and the sides, which ironically makes a cross, and it covers the entire household and everybody inside, and how you go from a lamb to the lamb to your lamb. And this has to be something that's personally applied. Until you understand that you need to be redeemed by the blood of a spotless lamb, then you you cannot be saved. And so that needs to become personal. And so God has clearly established from Exodus 12 that he has redeemed us, that he has provided redemption for us. And now we are his purchased possession. And so some verses that I love on this one is, um, Let me work through here real quick. I will redeem you. Okay, I love this. In 1 Corinthians 1.30, it says, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And so God has clearly given Jesus Christ for our redemption. And he has said that I will will redeem you. And this next verse, I love this one too, in Revelation five. It says, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And so the very first thing, the very first thing that God has provided for you to win your heart over is your redemption. And I I, I say this hesitantly because... I know how it goes. I remember being in your guys' shoes. It can become very um, tiresome at times to, to be told the gospel over and over again. But I, what I want you guys to understand is that if you get tired of hearing the gospel, if you get tired of really remembering what God has done for you, then your walk with God is suffering. It really is. If the gospel becomes old to you, there's something wrong in your walk with God. The gospel is, is something that when I forget, when, when I forget what God has done for me and I start to struggle with sin in my life, I go back to the gospel. It is my refreshing point. It is, it is the place where I have to go back. It is the foundation. It's the cornerstone of everything. And when I really think and I consider how much of a sinner I am and how holy God is and how much I do not deserve to be in his presence and the fact that even while I was his enemy, that he died for me and bled for me and suffered for me, it changes my perspective every time, every single time. And it makes me hate my sin even more. It makes me want to be more faithful to him in every area of my life. And I feel ashamed and it helps me to not struggle. And so you need to not get tired with the gospel. It is the beginning and it is the end of your life. I mean, I mean that it is the beginning and the end of your life. And if you ever feel like you can move past the gospel, there's something wrong. If you ever feel like it's something that becomes boring, there's something off in your relationship with God and you need to spend some time with him. So Israel has now been redeemed. They were in bondage for 400 years. There was no way out. There's no way of escape. They could not do it. And God came in and battle after battle after battle, he won them and he purchased them. And now they have been brought out and now they belong to him. And that is absolutely incredible. And so that's Exodus chapter 12. Go over to chapter 13 for number two, Exodus 13. So Exodus 13, and take a look at verse uh, 20. And someone read verse 20, 21, and 22. Good, Emily. And they took their journey from the Sucrab, and and encamped in Ephem, in the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of, of a cloud to lead them by the way, or to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night. So after saying I will redeem you and he did in fact do that now he says number two I will guide you I will guide you and very specifically as he was leading them out of Egypt into the wilderness it says that in verse 21 the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them by the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night and he took not away the pillar. So it was always there. It never left. And think about this. You're out in the middle of the desert, the Egyptian desert. And what does a cloud provide? Shade. Shade. It gives them rest in the midst of the heat. And think about in the desert at night, how cold it gets. What does the fire do? Heat. It gives them heat and gives them warmth and comfort. It gives them a light to know what's out there in the darkness. And so God provided all these things for them. He provided them comfort. And God provides this for us. And I I think about this. God didn't just save you, but then he has promised to guide you every step of the way. The issue is, are you following him? Because I think at any point in time, the nation of Israel could have stepped outside of the pillar and gone their own way. Right. They could have done that. But the issue is, no, they stayed in line and they stayed with the Lord and they followed wherever that pillar took them to go. And I love verses like this one. John 16, 13. How be it when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into All truth, all truth, for you shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come when you are saved. God puts the spirit of God inside of you. And God says very clearly that he is the guide into how much truth. All of it, all of it. Now, the issue is, are you listening? That's really the issue. It's just like the nation of Israel. They could have stepped outside of the path of the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, but they chose to stay there because they're in the wilderness. But you can get so comfortable in the wilderness that you want to kind of step out and do your own thing. And it's easy for us to do this. But God has promised to give you everything that you need to guide you and to help you in every circumstance. He is the great shepherd, and he's, he's going to guide us in all things if you're willing to hear his voice. If you're willing to hear his voice, that's that's the issue. And God speaks in a couple different ways. What's the primary way? Where can you hear God's voice? The word of God. It's called the word of God. And so spending time in your Bible is so much more than just, okay, I'm checking my my daily reading plan. Like, no, this is God's voice to you. This is God's voice to you on guiding you and directing you. Do you actually believe the Bible gives you all the answers to everything in your life? Because if you believe that, then you need his word and you need to get in it. And there isn't a day that goes by that you do not need God's word. You need to hear from him. How else does God speak to you? Yeah. Conviction, Totally. If you're listening to your conscience and your conviction, the spirit of God using your conscience, because remember, God's inside of you. And so if God's inside of you, then then there's going to be things inside of you that are going to be telling you not to do things or to do this. Are you paying attention or have you so are you so far removed from the will of God for your life that you don't even know what his voice even sounds like? And so. His Spirit authored this book, so the more of this book that you get into you, the more the Spirit of God can use this book in your life. And I love that process. But that, that Spirit of God is like that pillar of cloud, and it is like a pillar of fire. On the days where it is hot and dry and just hard, He's a source of comfort. On days where it's really cold and dark and you have no direction, He's a pillar of fire to give you warmth and give you direction and help you see what's going on. And I love that about God. I love that. And this is why Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path it is every every single time it was really cool while we were in texas um you know there's certain flashlights that you can have you know as you're going around and stuff like that but uh megan's aunt bought lucas this black light flashlight because he was so stoked out of his mind about this because they got scorpions and so he loves just finding everything and anything and so he has this black light and sure enough when you're shining a black light on a scorpion i mean the whole body just glows so he was going around the entire yard he's like I <laughs> but if he didn't have that black light, he wouldn't have been able to see these things. And these suckers are small. And when they sting, they sting and that stinger, you know, hurts for like six hours. It's not like a bee sting that can go away within an hour. It hurts for like six hours. But he was so pumped out about it. But he had to have the right kind of light. And the Word of God is just like that. The Word of God is the only light that can reveal things that no other light can reveal. And it can show you some seriously dangerous stuff. And so you've got to make sure that you are in it and that you really are trusting the Lord because He says He's going to provide for you. He, he will. And just like He did with this, He's going he's to provide for you just like He did for the nation of Israel. All right, go over to chapter 14. Chapter 14, number three, I will protect you. Number three, I will protect you. God promised to redeem. God promised to guide. And he has promised to protect you, just like he did with the nation of Israel. Exodus 14, and uh, give me a reader for 19 and 20. 14, 19, and 20. All right, Jared. And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them and it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel and it was a cloud and darkness to them but it gave light by night to these so that the one came not near the other all the night I love this part of the story if you were to spend some more time in this chapter so the nation of Israel is, is headed out and does anyone remember where God led them? where did he lead them? anyone know? when you look at the land where did he lead them? there's one like super obvious one like to the well not the promise on yet it's coming sorry sorry if i led you in a direction i should <laughs> it's not what do they have to cross first Jordan. no Red Sea Jordan was with with Joseph or not Joseph Joshua they're all the same. no they're not they're completely different I mean no they're well no no they are di- <laughs> so you have the Red Sea all right so when you when you study this out and you find out the spot where they're at with the Red Sea has anyone ever done this before this is kind of interesting okay so when you when you study this out there are several places that they could have crossed at the Red Sea but when you when you look where God led them God led them to a spot where they were between two mountains and there was only one way in and once they came in they were trapped. So they had no choice but to cross the Red Sea. They couldn't go to the left because they'd hit the Red Sea. They couldn't go to the right because they'd hit the Red Sea. And so they couldn't go back because the Egyptians were pursuing them. So now you have the Egyptians coming, and they have them, I mean, completely dead. I mean, if God did not lead them to this point, and then that pillar of of cloud and of fire did not remove itself from the front to the rear between in this valley, they, they would have been absolutely dead. So they were at this spot where there was no other way to go. And God did that on purpose. First of all, to test them, to see if they actually believed him or not. But there was no other way for them to go than through the sea. That's it. That was the only option. And so what God did here, and this is super interesting, it says that it removed and went behind them. The pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And it was a cloud and darkness to them but it gave light by night to these. So on the one hand, you had light given to the nation of Israel, but then when it comes to the Egyptians, they were covered in darkness. So God was providing and protecting them the whole time. And then it says, so that one came not near to the other all the night. So there was no way through. And so God put them in this position where they had no choice but to trust him, and he stood in between them the entire night. And while he was standing between them, he told Moses to lift up your staff, and you had the strong wind that came through and started parting the sea, and there was no other way for them to go forward. Look back at verse 15. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Because he's like, We're in the spot that we have no idea where to go. And he says, Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. In this scenario, the best thing to do is to always just move forward. They wanted to run, but they had to go through The sea. And so God stepped in between and he said, I will protect you. And I love this about God. I love this because God is always in the business of protecting his people. Always. There's times where it's hard to believe God, where it's difficult to see what he's doing. But you can always understand that God has your back. Like even when you feel like God is not there, he is there. He is. Because I've been in situations like that where I feel like God isn't near me. Why would I ever think that? Do I even have I forgotten what God has done for me? Like, have I forgotten that God purchased my redemption for all eternity? And so, would He purchase my redemption and then just leave me alone? Never. He would never do that. If there's any distance between me and God, it's always my fault. It's always me. It's never the Lord. He's always in the business of protecting me and standing in between. And I'm willing to bet. That when I step on the other side of eternity, I don't know if God's ever going to show me this, but I'd be willing to bet that if he did, that he could show me like time after time after time where he protected me in an issue that I had no idea that he was protecting me in because I do that with my kids. I love my kids. And there are things that I am protecting them even when they don't understand, even when they get mad at me about it, but it's because they don't get it. And I see things that they don't see. And I see their future in ways they don't see their future. And it's the same, same thing with the Lord. It's the same thing. Take a look at Psalm uh, 28. I'll work through this one. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in Him. Do you notice that? Past tense? The Lord is present. My strength and my shield. My heart trusted in Him in him. And I am helped. I love this. I love this. This is beautiful how this is written because God will be your strength presently. If you have learned to trust him in the past, if you've never given God the opportunity to earn his trust, then you'll he'll never be a help to you. He'll never be a shield to you. There's a lot of people that struggle trusting God. And here's the reason why they don't. The reason that they don't trust God is because they've never wanted to trust God. They've never given God the chance. And I'm telling you that if you're willing to give God the chance and that you're willing to trust him, that he will earn your favor and your trust time and time again. So that way in the future, you will be helped because you've learned to trust him. And it amazes me in my life where I don't trust God with these little small things things in my life and yet i'm willing to say yeah i'm trusting you that when i die and i step through the veil of death that you're going to carry me into eternity and i'm going to be in your presence i'm willing to trust you that you have redeemed me for all eternity but i can't trust you with my future i can't trust you with this friendship with this relationship i can't trust you with this year like for real like i mean come on this is one of those things where we're insane If you're willing to trust God with your eternity, you can trust him with anything here, anything. I don't care what it is. I don't care how big or small it is. I don't care how impossible it seems. You can always trust him. Your issue is you've never wanted to trust him. You've never given him a chance. And if you give him a chance, he will and he can be trusted and he will earn your trust. I know it. And that's why David could say this. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoiceth, and with song I will praise him in the future. I love how the tenses here are used. It's just absolutely beautiful. And so, God will protect you if you let Him. He will protect you. All right, in chapter 14, we've got number four. So, you're already in chapter 14. I will save you. I will save you. And take a look at verse 26. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea, and that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians. They've already crossed through the Red Sea on dry land, and their chariots upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared. I love that. Oh, I love that. And the Egyptians fled against it and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea and the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the hosts of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them and there remained not so much as one of them but the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on the left thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore and Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon on the Egyptians and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. So God saved them. And so he has to save them eternally for sure, but he saved them from this circumstance because they trusted in him and he provided for them and protected them and did all that. And when it comes to your daily walk, he wants to save you each and every day. I, whatever the circumstance is, he wants to save you. Who wants to save you from yourself? He wants to save you from these circumstances. He wants to save you from bad decisions. He wants to be able to save you. And the reason why Israel was able to be saved is because they obeyed the Lord. They walked through the sea on dry land, and they were able to see their enemies dead on the sea. And I love that. And this is why in junior high, we we so just drive this verse home. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. If you're willing to walk in him the same way that you trusted him for salvation, then he can give you victory in your life. And that is the absolute truth. It's the absolute truth. And I'm willing to bet that if you don't have certain victories in your life, it's because you're not trusting him with that, which we've already spent some time talking about. And along with this, I kind of went through uh, Proverbs, too, because I just I love this passage. I love this passage. Because if you're willing to trust God like this, if you're willing to have a heart towards the Lord like this, then He will be everything that you need, and He will never let you down. My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasures. Then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord, and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom, and out of His mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. He keepeth the path of judgment, and preserveth the way of His saints. Then shalt thou understand righteousness, and judgment, and equity. Yea, every good path. Every good path. God wants to show you and teach you every good path. He wants to save you in every circumstance, every single one of them. I know in my life the reason why he hasn't has been because I've just refused to listen to him as my loving father. And I can go back to a lot of my mistakes, and it's it's been that. He's been there, and he's taught me many things, and he's tried to teach me. I just didn't want to hear it, and I didn't seek him the right way. And the same's uh, true for you, too. Alright, so that's that one. Number five. God has promised to heal you. He has promised to redeem you. To guide you, to protect you, to save you. And now He has promised to redeem you. Exodus 15, 23-27. Alright, I'll read these, these ones really quick. Alright, when they came to Mara, they could not drink of the waters of Mara, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. I love this. He just showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. And said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes. I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. So he gives them a picture. It's a circumstance where they were complaining because they didn't have water, and now they're at his place where the water is now bitter. And he says, here, I'll just show you this tree, which I think is interesting because the cross is also a picture of a tree. God even talks about that in the scriptures. And you take this tree and you throw in the waters and now this bitter water now becomes sweet. Mm. Great devotional picture. Those things that make you very, very bitter towards God. God wants to take those things and turn them completely around and make them sweet things to you. It's, oh, I love this. this is, it was one of those lifelong lessons that I hope that you learn time and time again. There are things that unfold in your life that can make you very frustrated and make you angry, make you bitter, make you frustrated. And if, if you are willing to really wait upon the Lord in those things, He can redeem those circumstances and they can become very sweet, sweet things. Because God promises to heal us. He promises to heal us. And, and I love in Hebrews, because in Hebrews 12, go ahead and, and hold your spot here. Go over to Hebrews 12. Oftentimes, bitter things can only be made sweet through chastisement and discipline. It may sound weird, but it is totally true. Hebrews 12. And take a look at verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God deal with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the, Lord, the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all, all are partakers, then are ye are bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father's spirits and live? For they, verily for a few days, chastened us after their own pleasure. But he... For our prophet, that we might be partakers of his holiness. And now here's how he reveals it. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. It's not. It never is. Whenever you're disciplined or chastised, it's never joyous. But grievous. Absolutely. Nevertheless, afterward, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. When discipline is done properly, which of course God knows how to properly give you discipline, in the moment it's terrible. It stinks. It's the worst. But afterward, your your thinking and your mind and your heart are corrected, and afterward it yields peaceful fruit of righteousness. The most difficult things that I have ever gone through, when I have finally submitted my will to the Lord, it has been always for my profit and always for my benefit. There's never been a time where God has chastised me in some way or another where it's been a detriment to my life, ever. It's never worked out that way. But I have to get past it into this afterward part in order for it to actually take hold of my life and for me to be able to see the benefit. And this is why he says in verse 12, Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down on the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but, but let it rather be healed. So, The same way with everything else, God gives you a choice. When he disciplines you and he tries to correct you, and that can happen through your parents, it can happen through your teachers, it can happen through lost people, it can happen through saved people, it can happen through ministry leaders, pastors, it can happen through your discipler. Anytime God steps in and he's trying to discipline you and chastise you for something that's going on in your life that that you know is not right, you have two choices. You can either remain With your hands hanging down, feeble knees, and then keep wandering down these crooked paths that you're going. And if that's the case, look what it says. Lest that which is lame be turned out of the way. That's the only option. If you refuse to receive correction properly, then eventually your life is going to be turned out of the way. Because God can't do anything with you. God can only chastise you so much where he's trying to encourage you to get back to where you're supposed to be. And so if you choose to just, you know, let that thing just be another thing that that keeps you far away from God and you're already wandering, then the only option for you is to be turned out of the way. And it's not that God has turned you out of the way. And it's not that God has refused you. It's that you have refused God's way. And a lot of people get mad at God for no stinking reason at all. It's their own dang fault. They're the ones that are wandering and God is trying to chastise them to bring them back to where he wants them to be. But they refuse. I will never forget my cousin who died of cancer when he was 26. He was giving his testimony to the youth ministry at my dad's church. And he lived I mean, a hellish life. I mean, he was involved in drugs, alcohol, just the worst, the worst you can possibly imagine. And when he found out he had cancer and they only gave him one year to live, it scared the junk out of him. And so he went to my dad, and that's where he ended up getting saved. Because he's like, I don't know how much time I have. I know I've been messing around. I need to get right with the Lord. And he got saved, which was incredible. And God gave him 10 years, rather than just the one, to live out his days. And there were many days where it was very difficult for him, because the cancer went throughout his whole body. It got into his bones to the point where he, even when he was picking up a child at church, like his arm literally just snapped. There's, there's nothing you can do about it once it got into his bones. And he had like 20-some surgeries in less than 10 years in order to remove the tumors that they could remove. And he did some treatments and, and did the best that he could. So when he was giving his testimony, he used the example of a shepherd. And he said, when a shepherd has a sheep that just keeps going astray, keeps going astray over and over again, over and over again, the shepherd has to go grab that sheep and break all four of its legs. And then after breaking all four of those legs, he sets them again, binds them and takes that sheep and throws it over his shoulders. And then for the next several weeks until those bones heal up, he's feeding it by hand. He's taking it to the water and he's, I mean, giving it extra care and attention and he's feeding it and giving it water and giving everything that it needs while holding that sheep. So when he's walking with the flock, that sheep is on his shoulders and he's directing everybody else and he's hand feeding it, giving it water, doing this constantly until it's healed. And when that sheep has now healed and can now walk on its own, it never wanders away ever again. Never, because now that sheep knows this guy actually cares about me. And oftentimes God has to do this. And if we're not willing to follow him just out of our own volition, then God is going to have to do something very drastic to get your attention and to prove his love to you. Or like Hebrews talks about that, which is lame is just going to be turned out of the way. But God will do whatever is necessary in order to grab your attention. And that's why he disciplines us. Because it says, but let it rather be healed. That's what he wants. He wants things in your life to be healed. And that's why he disciplines us. And I need to always remember that as a parent. I don't want to discipline my children out of anger and frustration. I might be frustrated in the moment, but my heart motive behind my discipline for my kids is always for their healing. It's always for their benefit. On things that they may not understand. So it's super important. Super important. Alright, number six. God promises that He will feed you. Go to Exodus 16. Exodus 16. We've talked about this one before, but it's a great one just to be reminded of. Exodus 16. All right, Exodus 16, and um, someone read verse 12 through 15. 12 through 15. Go ahead. I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel speak unto them, saying, At even you shall eat flesh, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And it came to pass that even the toils came up and covered the camp. And in the morning the dew lay round about the host. And when the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness they lay a small round thing, as small as the whore frost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It is manna, for they wist not what it was. And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. Okay, so as you go through the rest of this chapter, you find out that every morning they had this little round thing. They literally didn't know what it was, and they were like, oh, it's manna. It's this little round thing. That's they had no idea even what to call it. And so you have this little round thing, and it was like the form of a seed. And it says in the verses following that they were to go out every morning, and they were to gather it. Gather as much as they needed for them. No more, no less. And then after they gathered this thing, they were supposed to take it, and they were supposed to grind it in a mortar with a pestle, and they were supposed to grind it down so it would become almost like a flower, and then they would bake it, and They would bake cakes with it, and that's how they made their bread. And so every morning they were supposed to do it. And on the day before the Sabbath, God would give them twice as much, and they were supposed to gather twice as much, because on the Sabbath day, there would be nothing on the ground. So they were supposed to go and do this. Now, this is a beautiful picture of God saying, I will feed you, I will provide for you, and I will make sure to take care of you. It is a beautiful illustration of God giving you your daily sustenance because the Word of God in Jesus Christ He's called the bread of life. And so every morning God provides exactly what they need for that day. They're supposed to go out and gather it, just like you have to wake up in the morning, get your butt out of bed, and you got to open up your Bible. you got to get out there and you need to gather it. Once you gather it, now you take it and you break it down. And then you add other ingredients and then you bake it. This is a beautiful picture of how you need to apply the word of God to your life. If you just gather the seed and you don't do anything with it, you can't do anything with it. So this is like when you wake up in the morning and you just read your chapters or you study out your certain stuff but you don't do anything with it. It doesn't mean anything. There's no way for you to actually apply it to your life. God wants you to go out there, gather it, break it down and actually do something with it. Apply it into your life the same way they had to break down this manna and then bake it And this is exactly what God wants you to do. And then here's the reality. If they didn't get their butts up in the morning and they didn't go out and they didn't gather it, guess what would happen in the heat of the day as soon as the sun came up? It melted away and it disappeared. It was gone. And I firmly believe that there are days that if I do not get into God's Word and I don't spend good quality time with God, God had something for me that day that is now melted and gone and I may never get it back ever again. Because in Jeremiah 15, 16, this is the attitude that Jeremiah had, Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and Thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. For I am called by Thy name, O Lord, God of hosts. And in Job twenty three twelve, Neither have I gone back from the commandment of His lips. I have esteemed the words of His mouth more than my necessary food. So is your attitude towards the Word of God so much so that you need it even more than your daily food it should be and it's more than just going out and gathering it. it is gathering it and then breaking it down so you can actually apply it to your life so it's beneficial because that would be like okay i'm going to get up in the morning and i'm going to make myself a breakfast sandwich and so as i make the sandwich and i leave it there on the plate and i just don't even touch it i mean that's what people do with the bible They'll gather it, they'll make it, and then they don't do anything with it. And it has no benefit to their body whatsoever. In order for that to go into your body and provide the nutrients to your body, what it needs, you have to consume it. You have to chew it and break it down. Your stomach has to dissolve it and it goes into your system or else it doesn't mean anything. And it's the same thing with manna. And God has promised that he will feed you. He will provide you your spiritual sustenance each and every day if you're willing to go out and get it. You got to go out and get it. You have to. It's because God promised that He would do it. All right, Exodus 17, number seven. God promises, I will fight alongside of you. I will fight alongside of you. So, so far, one through six, God has provided all these things for them. Even while they were complaining, He provided all these things for them. But number seven's a little bit different. Now He says, I will fight alongside of you so after God has proven his faithfulness to you he's going to bring you to a point of decision in your life on whether or not you are going to fight it could be a contentious circumstance it could be just something to test your faith it could be something to test your faithfulness whatever it might be but he's going to bring you to a point of decision on are you actually going to fight and if you're willing to fight he has promised to fight alongside of you so Exodus 17 take a look at verse 8 then came Amalek And fought with Israel in Rephidim, and Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him, and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to to the top of the hill. And it came to pass, when Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed; and when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. And they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and one on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi, which means the Lord is my banner. For he said, because the Lord hath sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now what I love about this is that right before this, they were complaining again. And they were murmuring against God again. And that's when the enemy came in. When you have a bad heart attitude, that is, you are providing a ripe opportunity for the enemy to come in and take you out from behind. This is exactly what Amalek did. When you study out how Amalek came and attacked them, they came in from behind and they attacked the little ones and the children and the people that had issues as far as they couldn't walk very fast around the back of the line. And they came in from behind and they started to attack the weakest spot of Israel. And now Moses commands Joshua to go out and choose men to go and fight. And when you study out Joshua, uh, remember what Joshua's name means? It's Jesus. there's another name for Jesus so if you were to take Joshua from Hebrew straight into English it's Joshua if you take Joshua's name from Greek into English it's Jesus and so you have a book in your Old Testament called the book of Jesus as Joshua it's really cool so now you have Jesus who's going to fight a battle against Amalek and he wants to choose from among the men to go out and fight this battle So as you really learn to trust God and understand that He has proven His faithfulness to you over and over again, there's going to come a point of of a decision where you are going to get into the fight. And He wants to get into the fight with you, and He wants to fight alongside of you. And what I have found for a lot of people, and I've seen this even in my own life, but I've seen it a lot in the lives of others, is that these circumstances oftentimes are reasons that people choose to walk away and be unfaithful. They just choose whatever the circumstances might be they're going to use that as an excuse to not be faithful to god or it can be the thing that actually makes you even more faithful i remember when you know all the junk hit the fan back when i was in uh, college just out of high school at my dad's old church and um you know a lot of the people that andy and i served with in vbs and youth ministry and stuff completely walked away like even to this day um, most of them are not serving god at all and the ones that are, are not really doing it. They're not really serving the Lord. Would you agree with that? Like, they're not, they're not in the fight at all. And a lot of it can be traced back to what happened when we were 18, 19, 20 years old. Because a terrible circumstance unfolded at my dad's church. And they used that as an excuse to not go back to church and to not be faithful to God. But in my life, as far as I'm concerned, it's actually caused me to want to be more faithful to the Lord. Because I've seen how the enemy wants to come in and just wreck everything. And so rather than it being an excuse for me not to walk with God, it actually fires me up and makes me want to walk with God even more. And so here God promises to fight alongside of you if you're willing to get into into the fight. So these seven things are really critical. And so God was faithful to prove himself to the nation of Israel. He is faithful to prove to you over and over again how much he loves for you, how much he cares for you beyond just redeeming you. And what's interesting about all this is that when you come to the spot in this whole timeline, like as you, as you follow all this all the way through, you find out that these guys should have been ready to go take the Promised Land. Like when you when you sit down and you think about everything that God did for the nation of Israel with fighting against Pharaoh, against all the different plagues and all the things that God did, and then how he not only redeemed them, but then he protected them and he guided them and he saved them and he provided for them and he fed them and he he was promising to even be with them. You know, out of the entire nation of Israel, there was only two men, two men that actually believed God. There should have been way more. After all the things that Israel saw, there should have been way more than just two guys that obeyed God and said, let's go take that promised land. Because remember what happened? They work through all this stuff. They get right up to the promised land line. And they're like, okay, let's send out spies. And everybody knows the child song, right? Who wants to sing it? No one? Yeah, ten were bad and two were good. Even Lucy sings that. You know that song. Okay, so the reason why the ten were bad is because they choose not to believe God. And, and it amazes me because you have Joshua and Caleb that come back and they're like, yeah, there's giants in the land, but God told us to go. Do you not remember what God did for us? I mean, we've been in Egypt for 400 stinking years. And then not only did he lead us out when we couldn't escape on our own, but then he led us and he guided us. And then Pharaoh and his army came after us. And then he went and protected us from behind us. We walked through the sea. We got through on the other side. We complained about not having water. And he took a tree and threw it in the water and it became sweet. And then we went over and we found wells of water. And then we went a little bit farther and we were complaining because we didn't have any food. And God sent quails out of nowhere and then put seeds on the ground that we had as much bread as we wanted, and then as we're going and we're still complaining, and then our enemies come and fight against us, then we have Joshua who leads us, and then we get a victory when there is everything against us. Do you not remember everything that God has done? And so I get so frustrated at times with myself too, but I get frustrated with Christians where I'm like, how much more does God have to do to win you over? Like, what else does He have to do? I mean... I I don't understand it. Like, what else does God have to do to prove to you that he is faithful, that he cares about you, that he wants to be with you, that he wants to help you, that he wants to provide for you, that he wants to lead you? Like, how much more? How much more can he do? I, I feel like nothing. Like, I feel like there's nothing else God has to do. He's done it all. He has proven himself faithful over and over again. And yet we treat him like garbage. And I don't understand it. Like we, we, we cower in the face of, of atheists. And yeah, we might feel like we're in the minority, but you know, we're never in the minority, like ever, never. Like you might be the only one in your school standing for the things that are right and they're biblical, but you're never in the minority. You might be physically in number, but when you take a stand for the Lord, do you not understand that everything was against them? And Joshua stood up and he fought this battle and God was with him in the battle. And so, we need to get out of our minds that we're losers. We need to get out of our minds that we're, we're stepping into a fight that we've already lost. We're stepping into fights that we've already won. And we might take hits on the chin, and we might get down a few times, but for crying out loud, He has redeemed you for all eternity. And what else does God have to do to prove to you that He is with you, and He is fighting for you, and that He's not against you? He's always in your corner. I feel like sometimes that we are just... Unbelievable cowards where we just step out on God and join the enemy side and start fighting against God why do we do that you have everything in your power to to go and to win people over for the Lord and I think for a lot of us we're just we're just we're afraid and what are we afraid of like for real when you sit down and you really think about what God has provided for you what in the world are you afraid of why do we have any reason to back down And I think the clear answer is that we don't. We have no reason to back down. And I think that when one day when we see the Lord, don't let that be the day of your regret. When you see the Lord face to face and He's like, why didn't you, or why didn't you take advantage of this? Or why didn't you talk to that person? Or why didn't you take a risk or take a chance? Don't let the day that you see the Lord face to face be the day of your regret. Let today be the day of your regret. And let it motivate you to be faithful to Him. Let the conviction settle and change your heart. Let God win you over. Because I'm telling you, this world needs you. One of the things for me, just coming back from crazy summer, it's really hit me. It's really bad out there. I mean, really bad. And... Uh, we have people in our country who call themselves Christians, but they're like the farthest thing from it. I mean, it's it's really, really bad. We do not understand how good we have it at our church and how selfish we would be to keep it to ourselves. Because there are so many people that are playing church and they're acting the part of Christians and they are their losses all get out. I mean, maybe not eternally, some for sure, but they're lost Christians. They're wandering in the wilderness, and they're dying. They're dying. And what you guys get here, between all the stuff that our church has to offer, should make you the best most equipped people on the face of the earth. And I believe that. Even among other like-minded churches like ours that do discipleship and believe the same things that we do, they're hurting. They really are. And we need to get out there, and we need to start doing stuff. We've got to. We've got to. We have to. So I wanted to start it off tonight with this because going into next week and maybe even the week after, we're going to be talking about the enemy a little bit and there's some stuff out of Joshua that we're going to take a look at um, that's very valuable. And so I want you to do something about it. Don't let this be just manna that you've collected in your bowl and you're going to take it home and let it rot on your shelf. I mean, break this stuff down and actually apply it to your life because tomorrow, for many of you, you're going to be face-to-face with people that you're going to have a clear opportunity with And Sunday, uh, there's some things that have been moving around in my heart and mind. I don't know exactly how the lesson's going to turn out, but the lessons that we do for the next two Sundays are going to be very valuable when it comes to, okay, how do I actually practically minister on my field? And I'm excited about it. I really am. I've been sharing it with a few other people, and just some of the thoughts that God's really given me, I'm really excited about these next two Sundays. So make sure you're here Sunday morning, both Sundays if you can. And uh, we'll do whatever we can. But let's be faithful. Let's be faithful to the Lord. All right, let's go ahead and pray. And then we'll spend the last 10 minutes, um, grab someone and pray with them, share some prayer requests. And we can pray together and then you can dismiss yourself. Father, thank you for our time together tonight. I pray that we would uh, take heed to your word and just help us to um, um, just really understand that, uh, that we are not alone in this world. And we are definitely not the minority and i pray that you would stir inside of our hearts to be faithful ambassadors and to uh, just be willing to to take maybe even more of a risk for you Um, and for some of us that might mean that we just need to be better equipped and there's some insecurities that we have and and so i pray that 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 would be uh, a need that would be met through discipleship or maybe even some Um, discussions that they can have with um, one of our leaders or um, maybe even with each other in some way shape or form but um, I I pray that this year would be a great and fruitful year for our youth ministry uh, that we would be excited and ready to go for our missions conference and I'm really excited just to have the whole Brown clan up here and to spend some time with them and just the wisdom that I know that you've given them throughout the years that we can learn and glean from them. Um, just help our whole church, and I pray that you'd help our youth ministry just to be just to be more faithful. So thank you for loving us and being so consistent with us, even when we've been unfaithful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.